This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk for Tuesday, July the 23rd. I'm your host, D.A. Another day, another story coming out of Cleveland Browns land. There is so much attention on a team that was sub-500 last year and 0-16 the year before that that it's kind of jarring. It's staggering how many people have so much to say and have so many thoughts about a Browns organization that has not been to the playoffs Since 2003, as I've always said, they are our nation's most interesting losers. But can they become winners? Well, in the offseason, they added a guy that's got Pro Bowl caliber talent, perhaps Hall of Fame caliber talent, to their roster. Cleveland Browns, of course, traded for Odell Beckham Jr. earlier in the spring. And now he's got a feature article in GQ in which he blasts the New York Giants and says he was disrespected by the organization and the city. So here's WFAN's Joe Beningo and Evan Roberts in New York responding. With a rookie head coach, with a second-year quarterback, and all these guys on his young guys in his team and have won nothing, okay? So there's a, you know they're being anointed. But, I mean, when I hear stuff like that from Beckham, I mean, are you kidding me? You did so much for the franchise? What the hell did you do? <laughs> Well, you made one great catch? Oh, yeah, you were a great wide receiver. Okay, great. Come on. Are you serious? Please. There's too much noise from Cleveland about the Giants. Yeah, really? Because what, what you is missed, he, What is he talking about? What right. you missed last week was Baker Mayfield making a very ignorant comment well, what about you say? that now Odell's going to have fans who actually show up and appreciate him. Oh, they don't show up? The Giant fans don't show up? It was a stupid Oh, comment. what are you kidding I mean, me? It was, just, it was so ignorant, I, I would even not even be mad about it. Please. I would just say this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But enough about the Giants. Enough. The Giants made a decision to trade Odell Beckham. We had we talked about it. We had debates about it. We had some saying it was a big mistake by the Giants. We had some saying it was great. They're glad he's gone. It's freaking over. Yep. yep. Odell is not a Giant anymore. So I know that GQ is going to ask you questions, but it's very easy to say, hey, I had a great time with the Giants. I'm not there anymore. Ask me about Cleveland. But instead, he's obsessed. Get over it. You're not here anymore. And if there was any chance of Giant fans showing him love a year from now when they come back and play them, I don't think that's going to happen now. No, I wouldn't be. uh, No. Because I think there'll be no love. Look, there was a lot of. uh, Look, to me, it was 50 50 that they liked him anyway. I mean, half the Giant fan base didn't like the guy. Well, but now to start it's, with. But now it's not 50 right. 50. No, I understand, but that's what I'm saying. So already you got 50% of the fan base against you. So now, for, like you said, forget about it now. Yeah. The horse has been beat. Yep. It really yep. has. The, the horse has been beat up over and over and over again. Enough is enough. He's in Cleveland. Yep. They have a very big mouth team over there. Yep. They that's have won a, nothing. That's, that's done nothing. Yep. 
They have a lot of expectations over there. They're in a very tough division. The Ravens and Steelers will yep. be competent. At least they'll uh, be competent. Look, I, I think, watch out for Pittsburgh. Sure. Watch out. So I would think that for Odell and for Baker and for everybody else, they should worry about their own damn business. The Giants are in a completely different place right now. There are not high expectations for the Giants. No, right. This is expected to be a down year for the Giants with 2020 being that target year. Well, I year. think the, the thing for the Giants is when will Daniel Jones play? Yeah. That, that, that's probably what you're looking at going into the season. No question. That's going to be the biggest storyline, the quarterback situation. So it's just enough. When, when I saw this this morning. Yeah, that's terrible. My reaction was... Can we just move on, Odell? Yeah, yeah. This is on you. This isn't the media's creation. This is you. You didn't have to say anything. And to basically walk around like you're the brand. I kept the yeah, Giants afloat. You barely played the last no, couple really, of years. It's unbelievable. Like, and again, to me, I did so much for the franchise. What'd you do? I, he did so much you for know, the franchise, bro. What did he do? I'm, sell jerseys? What did he do? No, he did sell He did well, do he that. Did that. Yeah, I'll give him that. But you know what this interview does? And I I've, I was mostly on the side of, I don't want to say defending Odell, but I thought that some Giant fans were too harsh on him. But on a day like today, I read this interview, and I say, they were right for moving yeah. on from him. Yeah. It ain't worth it. He's a, Look, uh, to me, Odell's a me guy. It's about Odell. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I mean, that, to me, is the bottom line with him. It's all about him. Yeah. And now, with the spotlight really on him now, I mean, now the spotlight's totally on him and his team. They are a trendy team. Everybody loves them. You know, the Browns haven't won in a million years. You know, they, 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 everybody loves them. Well, we're going to see how good this team is. Oh, no doubt. We're going to find out. And I love me people who go on and on about how it's all about them, and then they quickly say, right, right. I'm not saying it's about me. Right, I You know. just said it was about I you. Yeah, of course. You literally, Odell, went on and on about you kept the brand alive, right, you're right, this, right, you're that, right. and then, quote, I'm not saying it's because of me. You just did, pal. The biggest takeaway to Odell's Q&A in GQ is simply that he cannot get out of his own feelings. It is all about how happy he is. Is he happy? When is he happy? When was he happiest? Can he become happy yet again? Will the city of Cleveland make him happy? What will make you happy? And when you are so self-involved in your emotions like that, it is very difficult to ever see the team, see the bigger picture, see the day-to-day. He talks in that article about the celebrity of LeBron James or a double standard with Tom Brady or chasing down the records of Jerry Rice. All three of those guys have had huge, enormously successful careers, long careers that weren't about how they felt day-to-day. It was about what they did. And that's the problem, that for Odell, it's far more about how he feels than what he does at this point in his career. You know where Odell would fit perfectly? In Oakland, with a Raiders team that also has a lot of attention on it, despite not being very good. They're going to be featured on Hard Knocks. And Joe Theismann joined 92.9 in Memphis in the Jason and John show, discussing whether the HBO documentary series is going to derail Oakland before the season even begins. How can you focus on football when you're doing a show called Hard Knocks? I, mean, I agree. Who do they really? This is one of those things. Who do they really think they're kidding? Who, who gives a hoot about football when you're doing Hard Knocks? You want to see the guys getting cut. You want to hear the coaches' conversations. You want to hear the criticism. You want to hear the praise. That's all part of football, yes. But I think you know John is a John's a television show unto himself. He's a great he's a great personality. Uh, he's extremely smart, been a dear friend for so many years. 
I'm glad it's his, I'm glad it's John and not Jay with the Redskins. Um, I think they were also in the running for it, but I, they, they've got you know this is a huge year for Derek Carr. Mm-hmm. What's he going to be able to do? Now you're in year two with Coach uh, Coach Gruden. What's going to happen? Mm-hmm. You've got uh, you've added some players to that football team. You've made some unbelievable deals where your number ones are going to have to step up and play. I'm curious about the way John presents um, the product of football for the Oakland Raiders. You know, and they're getting ready to go to Vegas. Remember that? Yep. Mm-hmm. This is sort of this is sort of the the swan song for them in California, and they're fixing the leave. So I think it'll be entertaining. Uh, it's always insightful, but it really gives people a look into our world a little bit of the the pain that goes into it. You know, you're, you're basically dashing some guy's dreams and elevating others. So you really see the whole myriad of life in a very short period of time. But to say they're just going to focus on football, give me a break. Yeah. All right, Joe, are you a believer in of, in Foles in Jacksonville and sort of right solidifying that position and taking what's you know historically and from year to year been a good defense and getting them back? Would you put them over the Titans in the AFC South? Where do you where do you sort of see Jacksonville with with Foles and then what do you think about the Titans? That's a tough division with the Colts and Houston in as well. And you know what? It's it's a great question. We don't know about Nick. Mm-hmm. We only we only, we saw him under Chip Kelly throw uh, twenty nine touchdown passes, maybe two or three interceptions. So that, that, that's the one full body of work we've seen out of Nick. Um, do I think he can get it done? Yes. He still has a lot to prove. Yes, he does. I mean, he, parlay, he parlayed an MVP and a Super Bowl into a big deal down in Jacksonville, but you know they drafted Blake, number one, down there to be the guy. So I think they have a very good football team around them. Defensively, this could be the window, this could be the window closing for them, so mm-hmm. they have to perform. But I think Nick will make the right kind of decisions because the quarterback position is really about decisions. It's about being decisive and, and making good decisions. That's what the quarterback position is all about. And everybody's a manager. And I think he'll do a good job there. It's, it's just a question of, you know, are you going to make enough mistakes to lose a game? Are you going to hit the throws you're supposed to? Or are you going to make the right kind of plays to give you a chance to win games? And I think Nick has, has been through an awful lot. He's got a great amount of experience, and I think it's certainly an upgrade for them at the quarterback position. How far he's going to be able to take them depends on how healthy they stay. But, uh, I mean, it's still, it's still a question, though. It really is. It's still a question. You'd still say you'd pick Colts, and would you go Houston Titans, or would you, where, would you sort of, where would you lay out in terms of laying out Again, those teams? you know, Deshaun in, Deshaun in Houston, uh, Marcus in, in Tennessee, you know, these are two, again, young, budding stars mm-hmm. in the National Football League. I would probably lean Houston. I think defensively they're maybe a little bit stronger. But Tennessee proved their resiliency with Frank down there as the head coach. And, like, Jacksonville to me becomes one of those wild cards. Mm-hmm. I, pre- I predicted them to win 11 games last year. Only missed it by, what, seven? Yeah. You know, Theismann had a good quote there that John Gruden is a TV show himself. John's a television show unto himself. He's a great he's a great personality and I think that's part of the problem with Gruden at this point in his career. It's such a show with Gruden. Everything seems to be such a show. Every press conference is such a show. And for the Raiders, one foot out the door heading to Las Vegas perhaps as early as next year. And obviously a lot of losing in recent years and a quarterback that is right now on the hot seat as well. And a wide receiver that is a major headache if he doesn't get his way. There is Richie Incognito in the locker room as well. 
so many things can go wrong for the Raiders. And then to put the cameras in there, to put all the attention on that type of stuff before they even get off the ground, that is a dangerous ticking time bomb with the Raiders, which is a shame because Raiders fans in Oakland deserve a winner before that franchise leaves them for good. Tom Brady was on Instagram, and there's a video of him grabbing his six-year-old daughter by the hand and jumping into a lagoon, kind of cliff diving. Now, Tom Brady has garnered a lot of criticism from people on social media suggesting that he was bad parenting and being dangerous with his daughter. Is this showing another example of how social media is just a cesspool of negativity? Here's the Fan Morning Show in Pittsburgh on 93.7. I don't go to Starbucks' page and say, you need to change your coffee because I don't like it. Or by principled like this, there are certain foods I don't like. I don't go to the grocery store because I like other things in the grocery store, just like I like other things on social media. I don't stop and grab the radishes and say at the produce guy, I don't like these radishes. They're disgusting. They're ridiculous. Social media has brought out a lot of people who just can't move past things for the sake of moving past. Like, if you don't like what Tom Brady's doing, why isn't it coming upon you to try to comment on it? Why can't you just move past and into things that you enjoy? And that's, I think, the biggest problem with social media. Okay, like a guy walks on the baseball field the other day for the Pirates. Mm -hmm. What happens with me, I said... This is a very weird thing. This guy, you know, it's the barstool mentality as to why people think this is funny because you want to disseminate everything on the internet. It's not funny at all. It's a security risk. I bet I got 10,000 comments. I'm a stoolie, barstool. There was five comments. I finished counting at five that said, and I'll paraphrase, isn't your daughter dead yet? That's what we get from social media. Not people that just can't walk past it. One says, what's worse to live with? Your fat wife or your daughter who's going to die soon? So that's the kind of stuff we live. Look, I don't want any sympathy. I don't care. Come fight me. You know, I don't care. But the fact that people just can't walk past things they don't like, that's the worst part of social media. You might not like what Tom Brady did. He doesn't care. He's disseminating it to show maybe a girl overcoming his fears or whatever. But again, the problematic portion of it is the audience has to always say something. You always got to say something. Well, you just can't walk. It's nine like, times out of ten, it's negative. Right. I, I just Again, I don't like radishes. I don't stand in Giant Eagle's produce aisle and say, these radishes suck so bad, they're awful, I can't stand them. Change the radishes. No, because you know what? Other people might like them. So we just keep going past well, them. The worst part of that video is that Gronk caught the daughter and then spiked her. And then that was, <laughs> you didn't see most of that. <laughs> Did Goodell step in? Was the do- Wait, was the daughter inflated though? Uh, we're not sure. Oh, my. I mean, it's just. I mean, just have fun on social media. I mean, no. people take I, I, it I agree so with damn that. seriously. When it was, Chris, do you think when social media was like started and enacted and, and invented, it was meant to disseminate positive things and good things. Well, I, I, like, any, that's what I think. I don't yeah, know about you. Yeah. It, it's just, it's become, it's become the outlet for everybody's bad feelings and negativity or political and political views. Right. It's exactly. become... Calm down. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> 
potatoes. Oh, everybody has two cents, even if you don't want to hear it. Right. Is what it is. And you can't get away from it. No, you can unfollow all you want well, and somehow it finds or you. Or you can yeah. block somebody, but you got to see it the first time at least. Right. In order to know to block. You know, the guys on the fan have it right. Social media encourages people to say exactly what they think at everything. And by doing so, we've got people weighing in on things that they don't really need to weigh in on. And I love the example of not going to the grocery store, seeking out the grocer and yelling at him, I don't like your radishes. I think that's hysterical. I don't like these radishes. They're disgusting. They're ridiculous. Because there's an element of truth there that on social media, everybody feels empowered to leave their comments about everything and to judge everything and it leads to a really negative place, a really judgy place where people are just scared now to do anything if you're just somewhat normal. The only people that are fearless about going on to social media and not catching that flack are people that won't put anything on there that's controversial or are looking for the attention by being controversial. It's a bad way right now on social media in today's day and age. Over to baseball. The Chicago Cubs lead of the National League Central is down to a game and a half after another blown lead by the bullpen against the San Francisco Giants. Number one, the Giants are now above 500, which is crazy in this winning streak that they've had. But on the flip side, the Cubs are a team with World Series aspirations, and they need to fix that bullpen. So what extent do they need to go to do it? Here's Bernstein and McKnight on the score in Chicago. You read the trade rumors yesterday. We read them yesterday concerning Castellanos. His $4 million that they'd have to absorb would be difficult for them to take on. Now, listen, I'm not telling you that they shouldn't blow a luxury tax out of the water. They should. They should spend whatever it is they have to spend in order to win a World Series. That is the way that I prefer my franchise to operate at all times. When you've got a World Series window open, you prop that baby up with as much cash as you could possibly find. That is the responsibility of owning the franchise. I understand you got to turn a profit. Now is when you go win a World Series. That said, I, I don't know how much wherewithal the Cubs have to do that. They have been budget conscious all season long. Go back to the winter, and they're talking then. Tom Ricketts on this station said during the winter that, that Craig Kimbrell's essentially not happening. That changed because of an unforeseen circumstance with Ben Zobrist, obviously. But it was said then. And if you're cash conscious about the one thing that fixes as many problems as Craig Kimbrell would have done then and has done since, then, then what kind of stomach, what kind of financial wherewithal do you have to go ahead and add somebody that costs as much as, as Castellanos does to say nothing of, of Syndergaard or whatever? I mean, that, that matters. You know, these kinds of things are the, are the issues that the Cubs are, are seemingly reticent to deal with. And you're not even bringing up what it would be cost in prospect resources. Or, or 25-man roster resources. Because I would imagine that for some of those names, what, Gallo, Syndergaard, something like that, that takes that, you got to peel somebody off the 25-man for yeah, that. But right, but the counter-argument is, if you're not going to do it now, when would you ever do it? Like, Make well, a trade like that, you yeah, mean? Yeah, what are you in this for? Sure, I, it's a, and it's a fair argument to be had, and if you can find someone who is controllable, great, that's wonderful. I, I do agree that finding your situational bench guy and your matchup-type lefty 
and figuring that's enough to make this team a contender against the Dodgers or or even you know the Astros or the Yankees or you know whoever you're reaching in a World Series if you're looking that far down the line, which should be the goal, that finding these I don't know a better way to put it situational or matchup type bats and or arms that may no longer be enough. This is a franchise that spent 108 years searching for a championship, and they finally got it. So there's no way that they should possibly, at this point in time, go cheap on anything. And I know that you're looking for long-term viability. You want this window to be open, so you want to have some sensible, prudent decision-making when it comes to spending money, luxury tax stuff, and also trading away prospects, but the Cubs are a team, once again, good enough to be in the World Series this year. Now, the Dodgers might be the wagon of the National League, but it's not like they can't be beaten, a team that's been beaten in the World Series the last two years. So if you're the Cubs, you know, damn it, you've gone more than a century without winning a World Series. You did get one. That doesn't mean you should go on the cheap now. Whatever it takes, fix the bullpen, go out there, fix it, and compete for another championship because right now, It's just not getting it done. Unfortunately, another scary story out of baseball where over the weekend in Cleveland, a young three-year-old was hit by a screaming line drive by Francisco Lindor at the Indians game. Now, that child went to the hospital. Luckily, seems to be doing okay, but it definitely freaked out Lindor. And once again, begs the question, why isn't baseball extending the nets right now, middle of the season, after multiple incidents like this? Here's Bull and Fox on 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. If a kid gets hurt, say down the first base line, and you know he's batting left-handed, obviously, kid gets hurt down the first base line, the last thing he wants to do is step in the batter's box and look to pull the ball because yeah. everybody's gathered there. I mean, it's it's a scary situation, and we don't. I guess we we look at it in terms of well, you know, he's a player, he's doing his job, but. And there's a human side of it, especially a guy like Frankie. There's very much a human side of these guys. Yeah, now these guys have to go to to the plate and have to think about where they're going to hit the ball, you know. And and they're thinking about hitting hitting a kid now. And I guarantee you that Lindor, uh, the rest of this week and maybe going forward, maybe that never leaves him. He's scared that he's going to hurt somebody. And, and until you're in that position. Uh, you don't know how that feels. I don't know how that feels. You don't know how that feels. It's got to be a, a extremely difficult thing to deal with, knowing that you potentially you're just doing your job. You're just playing a game, and, and an innocent bystander could be injured. Yeah, no, it, it, and it's it's sickening. You could, and you could tell right away the reaction from Frankie. Obviously, the comments afterwards, and then. He goes on to yeah. say, and look, this was something before the All Star break because you mentioned Almora. And uh, and having that happen in Houston. And the thing that bothered me the most was the fact that Rob Manfred, and I know guys on Twitter have been, you know, coming at me with, well, don't you realize that Manfred is simply, he, you know, he, the owners are his bosses. Great. But he's still the voice for Major League Baseball. And when Rob Manfred, after something like this happens and Almora, the Almora case is won, and he simply says, well, you know what? And he said it very casually. Like, we'll look into this after the season and decide. Not decide what yeah. we're going to do, but decide if we have a problem. And it's like, are you going to decide that you have a problem, unfortunately, before it's too late? Like, when it's too late? 
And, and and that's what really concerns me. And here's and I, what I what I don't get is what's the downside, Chico, from this. I mean, we've had calls in the past where people have said, you know, pay attention. You know, what are you doing? If you, why are you taking a kid to a ball game and sitting so close? You know, uh, on your phones doing the, it can happen so fast. I think that's such BS because you could be sitting there at a ball game and literally. Turn your head for one second because someone wants to, to pass a beer down. To, someone just bought one, or you, you know, you're, you're someone asks you a question. You turn your head for a split second, and it happens. I mean, okay? yeah, should it can we happen in an instant? Should we ban like when the mascots come up and, and uh, you know the the after the hot dog yeah. races? Like, yeah. well, you can't have those guys because everybody's going to be yeah. distraction. That sliders in section. Oh, Got to get them out of there because everybody's going to be distracted. Like it, it's. It's part of the game, but there are measures that you can take that I think are very simple, and I think people are getting too wrapped up in oh, it's going to be such a, it's going to be such a distraction. The the netting, you'll you know what the first two games that you go to, it will yeah. probably be a bit of a distraction, and then you'll forget about it. And and and, it, and honestly, if this is even about, and there are some out there, adults, males that are, are concerned yeah. about getting a foul ball, my God, get a life. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, that's just, that's absolutely. If you're going to, if you're going to a baseball game and your only care in the world is, i got to get my foul ball, then you're right, get a life. Man, baseball must be holding its breath that nothing tragic happened between now and the end of the season. Because you just know by the end of the season, there's going to be some type of regulations enacted by the league office that stadiums are going to have to have netting, X number of feet down the lines, and maybe even all the way from fair pole to fair pole. We've talked about this before on Around the Dial. The absolute worst thing that could happen, the worst nightmare for baseball, is a child dying at the ballpark because it was hit by a line drive because that's just going to be the worst possible black eye and negative reporting and storyline around baseball when they'll be heading into the pennant races and the playoffs, you just don't want that. So baseball is going to have to change this ruling, and I don't think it's that much to ask all Major League Baseball teams to go at least three-quarters down the lines with netting to protect children and people at the ballpark that might not be paying attention or don't have the quick-action reflexes to get out of the way. Finally, to basketball, James Harden and Chris Paul. That didn't work. James Harden and Dwight Howard. That didn't work. James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Can that work? Here's the brand new radio team on Sports Radio 610 in Houston, Clint Sterner and Rich Camel. Let all the hot takes get out of here and let me ask my man Rick Kamler, can Westbrook and James Harden coexist? That's all I care about. That's all Houston wants to know is can James Harden and Westbrook coexist and how's it going to happen, Rick Cameron? Clint, the answer is yes. And it's because they weren't put together. They wanted to be together. <clears throat> so you're going to have two superstars. They're not like, yo, I don't like, I'm not really feeling this guy. Like, this isn't my team anymore. They actually want to play together. So the intangibles of this, Clint, are going to be great. The tangibles are obviously already there. We're talking about two guys who aren't future Hall of Famers. They're future all-time greats. They're at that special, extraordinary cut of Hall of Famer. Not the Ralph Sampson, Chris Mullen, Dikembe Mutombo cut of Hall of Famer. No disrespect to those guys. They're at that neck. Don't, Look, don't disrespect the finger now. I'm not, there's no Mutombo disrespect at all. My guy. But Dikembe uh, uh, Mutombo is a Hall of Famer. Sure. Hakeem the Dream Olajuwon 
is an, an all-time all great. great. I'm with so you. we're getting all-time great guys coming together. Clint, they want to play together. So for that reason, they're, what, 75% of the way there. Just the fact that they're looking across and saying, I like that guy. I want to play with that guy. We know that Russell Westbrook did not like playing with Kevin Durant. And we know that Kevin Durant did not like playing with Russell Westbrook. Now, Paul George and Russ got along for a couple of years. They made it work. But obviously, it was all it was not all peaches and cream because the first opportunity Paul George got to go back home to Southern California, he took it. He was on and, the first and demanded thing smoking, a trade. First thing smoking. So these guys want to play together, which is critical. But Clint, let me give you some even bigger intel. Initially, being a jaded, cynical, uh, almost twenty-year journalist with the NBA and knowing the usage rate of Russell Westbrook, the usage rate of James Harden, and just how ball dominant they are, and how alpha dog they are. Oh, man, I don't know if this is going to work, right? That was my first knee-jerk reaction. But, Clint, then I got to work, and I talked to player after player after player after player in Las Vegas. Dennis Scott, Isaiah Thomas, Karan Butler, on down the line of NBA TV analysts, other people in the arena, uh, uh, arenas that I was in, and just bouncing it off ball players because they know more than I do. You know more about the NFL I, I, than I, I don't, do. I don't know if we know more than you do. It's a different perspective, but I love the fact that you're willing to talk to these players and go, let, let, me, get, let me do a little due diligence. Yeah, so let it's me do not, a little due diligence and make sure that, that, that what I'm thinking makes sense. So every single ball player that I talked to said, I guarantee you it's going to work. Every single one. There was not one outlier who said, mm, I don't know. You know, the city ain't big enough for the two of them. You know, there's only one ball. I never heard one ball player say that. And the reason why is they said that the overall talent of these two players, we're not talking about two talented players. We're talking about two of the most supremely talented players who have ever laced them up and bounced an orange ball. Their greatness is why it's going to work. So I think it's pretty cool that a lot of media people, and initially I was one of them, said, mm, I don't know. Like, I don't know if these guys are going to be button heads, trying to steal the ball away from each other or what. Then, as you said, I did my due diligence, talked to all these ball players, and I was like, you know what? I am, I'm not a flip-flopper, but when I get some intel and when I get some good info, I can tweak my opinion. And I had to tweak my opinion, Clint. I think it's going to work. James Harden says it's going to be fine, and I'm sure Rockets fans are going to be optimistic at the time, but there is so much that could go wrong there. And we know just from styles and personalities and Russell Westbrook, how volatile and furious he can be. There is a lot that can go wrong. And saying that it's going to work now from James Harden, I understand that optimism, but that's way different than where we sit on December 25th on Christmas when people are wondering, how the heck is this going to go? It's a lot different. It's a lot different now to be optimistic than what we actually see. And I'm I'm pessimistic. I'm cynical that this can actually work to the point where they actually get to an NBA Finals and compete for a championship. That's the best in your sports talk for Tuesday, July the 23rd. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app.
Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 